Good afternoon. This is the Joe Moran Show on Monday, August 24th. Excited to be here today. It's beautiful, sunny, uh, where I'm at in the Midwest. I hope everybody had an excellent weekend and uh, are enjoying their Monday so far uh, and are looking forward to the week. So, couple things that you know I'm really interested in and, and thinking about um, today are the uh, the decisions by the REI uh, corporate uh, governance team uh, the executive leadership there um, regarding selling their newly constructed headquarters in Bellevue Washington want to provide my thoughts on decentralization, what I think um, they're trying to achieve, as well as what the implications are you know, long-term uh, from a talent acquisition, talent retention, and then will other organizations follow suit. Um, so I want to talk about that. You know, We've got some news on the coronavirus front, a Hong Kong citizen, uh, was reinfected with coronavirus um, after being infected in March. So I want to talk about that, as well as what's happening in Turkey. Um, they had a huge discovery of natural gas within the Black Sea. Uh, you know, what are the implications? Uh, is it, you know, are they able to tap into it? Are they able to get that natural gas? Um you know, it's it's uh, fortuitous timing on their part, given what's happened, uh, what's happening with the lira and their current account balance. Um, so, a few kind of main topics and themes that I want to discuss on today's show, uh, and and you know whatever else you know that kind of comes from a flow state, we'll just kind of talk through. But uh, really excited to. Uh, to talk about these issues want to get your all's feedback and thoughts um and again you know no sponsors yet but we're getting there one by one uh listener by listener and uh this simply is going to be the most interesting podcast um on you know a variety of issues that you can find whether it's business strategy um tactical decision making finance uh, economics, uh, macro, you know, macro economy, uh, as well as uh, technology and, and, and the implications on decentralization and everything else, right, in terms of rate of change. So really excited, but let's dive right into this REI um, decision. So REI has been working on this project, right, to build a corporate headquarters in Bellevue, Washington, and there's a lot of you know corporate activity in Bellevue. So you've got uh, Pacar, which is a uh, the kind of the parent company of Kenworth and Peterbilt Trucks. Uh, you know Seattle is nearby, where you've got Amazon, Microsoft. So there's a lot of corporate activity right in the Seattle uh, metropolitan area, um, as well as you know in Bellevue, which is just you know a suburb of of Seattle, and They've been building this headquarters, right? Trying to, um, you know, establish a company culture, 
get everybody integrated, get everybody communicating. And you have coronavirus that happens uh, right in the middle of this, uh, kind of at you know the last stages as they build this headquarters. So, you know, REI is, you know, and again, they're a, you know, they're a retail outfit, right? So they've got uh, retail stores all around the United States, um, taking a hit. I mean, they've had a 30% revenue drop due to coronavirus. So top line is getting hit. Um, they're, you know, doing significant capital investments uh, in their infrastructure and in their, uh, kind of corporate offices. Um, and, you know, they're trying to figure out, well, how do we, how do we really navigate this going forward? Um, understanding that we're at a kind of a paradigm shift and we're on a new trajectory thanks to coronavirus. And we don't know when the virus is going to be under control. We don't know when there's going to be a vaccine. So you kind of think about all the variables, all the data points. And the REI team comes to the conclusion that, hey, we've invested in this centralized corporate office, but we are going to sell it. Um, you know, they got new data. You know, new variable entered the, um, entered the equation. And they have to make a decision with the new information. You know, in accounting, um, which is my background, there's a concept called sunk cost, right? And I think this is a perfect example of that, um, that term where REI invested, you know, X amount of dollars. We don't know what their investment cost was in this project. We don't even know what the sale price is of this of you know them really getting rid of this asset. But they've invested, let's call it, you know, a hundred million dollars just for throwing out a number. It isn't that. That's that's you know way too much. But let's say it's a hundred million. So they've invested the hundred million in new information. We got coronavirus They've got a 30% revenue drop, which, you know, in terms of accounting, you know, that's a direct impact on your contribution margin. Um, so how do we afford this, you know, this increase in overhead and fixed costs? Um, and because of coronavirus, our corporate employees have had to work remote, you know, let's call it since March. And, you know, was that successful? Was it not successful? Um, what have we learned? So they're taking all this data in, right? And they're trying to make the best decision. Well, REI decides to sell this new facility before they even moved in. You know, talk about adaptability, agility, uh, making decisions based on new information. Um, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. This is what 
excellent executive leadership looks like in terms of decision making. Um, it's really that simple. So we've got the new information. We've got additional overhead if we move if we move into this building. We've realized that our corporate workforce can work remotely. Now there's pluses and minuses to company culture. Um, you know, you don't have the hallway conversations. You're going to probably have to do a few more activities once we get through the coronavirus to make sure people come together, uh, feel like oh, they're all part of the team. But, you know, the remote is working, right? It's working. And the reality is, you know, what I would think about, and I'm sure what they thought about is, do we need to take on this extra overhead expense knowing that we can be effective in a remote environment? Because if the executive leadership at REI was concerned about their corporate office's ability to perform, then they wouldn't have made this decision, right? Forget the dollars, right? Forget the financial kind of component of it. Um, it looks like, you know, based on everything that REI is saying, is that they're going to have a... Um, a positive return on this transaction, but forget the positive return on the transaction. If their corporate office was not able to perform at a high level in a remote environment, then they wouldn't have made the decision. So the corporate office has proved that they can do it, right? That's even with the backdrop. Hey, you know, the leadership's like, hey, we got a 30% hit to revenue. We got to pull back our variable costs. There's no way that we can absorb this overhead. Um, I'm telling you right now, uh, you know, based on my experience, the executives, if they didn't think that that corporate office could perform, they would figure out the financial aspect somewhere else. They would. Um, but obviously, the corporate office has been effective in a remote, a remote environment. And so REI is saying, okay, well, how do I, how can I turn this? And, you know, I can imagine sitting in their boardroom what they're thinking is how can we turn this into a net positive, not only from a culture perspective, um, which is critical, and you can think about it, right? REI, it's outdoors, it's, hey, it's mobility. We need people, you know, our employees want to be out whitewater rafting. We want to be hiking. Um, we want to be surfing, all of these things. And, you think about mobility, it fits in directly and it aligns perfectly with their outdoor mentality. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, right? So that checks the box there. Now, we've got to reduce costs, right? Because we got this revenue hit. Okay, so Seattle, Amazon, Microsoft, talent pool, right? The talent costs and personnel costs in the Seattle area, it's only going up, right? Amazon's hiring more people. Microsoft is growing exponentially. They both are. REI is in direct competition with both of those organizations, not to mention PACCAR, like I said before, which is a 
best in breed uh, truck um, heavy duty manufacturer. So, I mean, they're in competition for top talent in the Seattle area from a corporate perspective. So what does getting rid of your corporate headquarters do if you're REI from a talent perspective? Well, one, it frees you up to acquire talent globally. You're no longer constrained by this corporate headquarters. No more constraints. It frees you up to hire the best people wherever they are around the globe. The best people. Sound like Trump. The best people. Not only can you hire the best people for your company culture, because you're no longer constrained by a a geography, right? You are able to hire the best people at better prices because the market price for somebody in the Midwest, whether it's St. Louis, Kansas City, Omaha, and I'm just talking about the United States, not to mention what it looks like in other countries, it's at a much better price point if you're at REI than it is hiring an equivalent employee in Seattle. It's an unbelievable talent arbitrage once you make this step and go decentralized and have a mobile workforce. It is a significant competitive advantage compared to your peers. The company that I used to work for, MHC, based here in Kansas City, is the largest Kenworth truck dealer in the world. And when and when COVID-19 struck and they realized that it was significant, right? Late February, early March, we hear rumblings. It's like, okay, this is going to be a problem. There was even somebody within our IT team that was going to Japan on vacation. And the executives made that individual come back in course to do a self-quarantine. This was before, you know, everything kind of shut down, right? So these, you know, they were we were talking about this in February. Well, so the corp. So the corporate office, and then we had a few different corporate offices, but we decided to go remote, right? We're going to have a remote corporate office um, until everything is safe, until we come back. Well, the second that employees in this state and the county and the city decided that it was safe for employees to come back and we had adequate testing and we felt like we had our arms wrapped around it, this would have been, you know, June-ish. We, the company and the organization, MHC, brought employees back uh, into the corporate office. Um, and three weeks later, three to four weeks later, when the organization, the city, the county, the state realized that 
things weren't trending in the right direction, they sent him back home. Now, if you think about MHC, it has many dealerships all around the country, but it's a very centralized, uh, very centralized organization in terms of the decision making, in terms of the hierarchy. Uh, very centralized, very centralized, and they made the decision to bring people back. Now, it's possible, right? that in the future they'll say, well, we're just going to have a mobile workforce and we'll be able to, uh, you know, look at talent arbitrage. We'll be able to go get talent that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. Uh, but it, uh, given their culture, what I know about their culture, what I know about the executives, uh, it's very unlikely that that's going to be the path that they go down. But what I would tell you when comparing REI and my previous employer is one organization is forward-looking, is future-looking, is taking into consideration all of the variables, all of the information that's at hand. And they're making that decision based on all of the information that's at their fingertips. Then you got the other company that's a very successful, well-run organization saying, well, we have to put people back in these offices because we're on the hook, right? We're on the hook financially for these buildings. Who owns the buildings, right? Where is the cash going, right? And so depending on the incentives of the owners, of the executives, of the shareholders, we can start to see how they're going to make these decisions. So REI, let's say they needed cash, right? They need to knock down their variable costs. Their revenue was hit 30%. So what do they do? Okay, well, we don't need this asset. We can work remote. So they termed 300 corporate employees, 400 retail employees, They've eliminated a fixed overhead cost that was going to be significant. Um, they're flipping it into a positive return, and they just had to, they just they were just able to uh, tackle a talent arbitrage versus a company that had the first second we can get back to the way things were before. We're going to take that opportunity and go back to the way that things were before COVID-19. Make no mistake about it. There has been a paradigm shift. COVID-19 is a paradigm shift. We were already trending, but in this direction for decentralization, right? These things were already going to happen, but we're 10 years 10 years were pulled forward because of COVID-19. REI had new information and they made a decision. In the Midwest, compared to the coasts, talent's 40% cheaper, 40-15% cheaper. It's hard to find talent in the north in the northwest. Why? Because you're competing with Microsoft, Amazon, PacR. You don't have those corporations where I'm at in Kansas City. You don't have them in Omaha. 
you're not dealing with the same uh, talent competition levels. You're just not. Not here in the Midwest. So the way that I see it is there's going to be a lot more of these companies like REI that have huge corporate offices and they're going to go to more remote satellite branches for um, key personnel and the rest of their employees will be on some sort of flex schedule where they come in the office if they'd like or they can work remote if they'd like. Um, It's just going to be a lot more flexible. And let's be honest about something. That's what millennials, that's what Gen Zers are going to demand. Right? The ones that the the employees that are clamoring uh, to go back to the office, right, from a social standpoint, those are your baby boomers, right? That's a social, that is a social aspect of their lives is getting in the office, communicating with their fellow employees. (laughs) It's not Instagram. It's not TikTok. It's not digital. Right, so your Gen Zers, your Millennials, they're always going to be pushing and wanting to join companies that allow for mobility. I think REI gets it. I think REI gets it. Um, MHC doesn't get it. They don't get it. And again, that's okay. But what I would say is 5, 10, 15 years from now, the organizations... that we're able to understand the landscape, understand the paradigm shift, understand that remote, albeit we were already turning in that direction, it was already happening, but that has been accelerated, has been pulled forward. The companies that make the right decisions today in supporting a mobile workforce and making mobile decisions will not only get better talent, Right, because of the talent arbitrage that we talked about earlier, better talent all around the globe, no longer confined to a specific geographical area at more affordable prices for the organization, not to mention elimination of fixed overhead costs, is gonna that organization is gonna be at a significant competitive advantage to companies that don't make the same choice. They just will be. We'll be able to look at the financials and we'll be able to see it. Cost cutting, better talent, more profitable, higher share price, return value to shareholders. And this is only one aspect of decentralization that's happening, right? I mean, it's the reason why commercial real estate, it is impaired. It's impaired. Facebook, employees work from home. Twitter, employees work from home. Google, employees work from home. They are not going to invest in commercial real estate that can house all of their employees knowing that remote work, mobility, 
are just as effective. So you have to ask yourself, you know, as an employee of one of these companies that refuses to go remote or refuses to embrace the mobile workforce, is why is that decision being made? Who is being incentivized and why are they being incentivized to make those decisions? That's the question that we got to ask ourselves as we move forward and as you move forward. Could it be if it's a private company that the shareholders own the real estate and they're on the hook for a 10, 15, 20 year loan? Is it possible? Because if it's a private company, it's likely, unless there's an ESOP program, that the employees aren't shareholders. So it's critical to understand the incentive structure for why decisions are being made the way they're being made. Absolutely critical. So let's jump in real quick to this Hong Kong, because again, I think it Hong Kong, you know, reinfection of the coronavirus, because um, I think it, it piggybacks off nicely from what we were just talking about. So 33-year-old male um, infected with coronavirus back in March, April timeframe was traveling right to London and Europe, comes back to Hong Kong, gets a swab test, positive. So the question, and there and there's been there has been um, some cases that are similar to this where, you know, tested positive after a few months. However, it was the same strand of the coronavirus, um, you know, it's an issue, but feels like a significant outlier. But what's interesting about this case is it's a different strain of the virus. So there's 24 different nucleotides, so not the same strain. Symptoms are milder, so that's good news, but still has symptoms. Could still transmit the virus. two other individuals. Uh, so, you know, I think there's this prevailing thought that once you have coronavirus, you're no longer at risk and you're not at any risk from giving it to somebody um, after you're through the infection stage. Well, this puts a hole through that prevailing thought, right? Changes the game, changes the narrative. What happens when a vaccine comes out? So let's say we get a vaccine fourth quarter, Q1, Q2, just say Q1. Everybody gets the vaccine that wants it. And... You know, it's moderately effective. Well, six months later, you could get the virus again. What does that mean in terms of shutdowns? What does that mean in terms of herd immunity? What does that mean in terms of 
schools being locked down? Are we going to have to get a vaccine every three months? Are we going to need a shot every six months? Now, the good news in this case is the symptoms were milder, which means they were getting some benefit from their immune system in terms of already having the virus. But how long is that immune response effective? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Can't answer it. In fact, I don't think anybody can answer it at this point in time. However, what's important to realize is that if people think we're just going to go right back to pre-March, pre-COVID-19, we get the vaccine, everybody takes it, there's no issues, we go back to the way our lives were, uh, you know, Q4 of 19, Q1 of 20, let's call it pre-March. That just isn't going to be the case. Not if people can get reinfected. Just isn't going to be the case. Are schools going to lock down? I can tell you that in the United States, people will not adjust well or accept another lockdown. I mean, shit, we can't even get people to wear masks in this country. So if you can get reinfected, what does that mean for the economy going forward? What does that mean from a health perspective going forward? Um, it's just very critical to think about what the downstream impact is of this. Now, we don't know and the you know, health officials don't know everything that's you know, that they need to understand about the secondary infection. But the knockdown effects, the second order effects, uh, are fairly significant. And it's going to play just a critical role um, over the eight, next 18, 24 months. Because if you can get reinfected, which means you can out, you know, transmit the virus to other individuals, um, you yourself, you know, your immune system is not protecting you um, like it should. Now, maybe on a, on a on some level it is, but I mean, you're still displaying symptoms. Um, you know, it's a 33 year old male. You know, we have a real problem in the United States of thinking that younger people can't be harmed by this. Well, that just isn't accurate. But life is not going to go back to the way that it was. So again, REI, let's think about, let's kind of tie the two together real quick. REI is making a decision based on the way that they see the world going forward, understanding that there is a paradigm shift. There has been a change in the way that is needed to operate to be effective going forward. Are all organizations going to have the same foresight? Are people going to understand 
that life will not go back to the way that it was in February. It just won't. We don't know enough about the virus. doesn't matter if it's, you know, not as deadly as the flu. Um, you know, if, if that's what you believe, it doesn't matter because we don't have the information. And if people can get reinfected with different strains, then that complicates the, uh, the health response going forward. Absolutely, absolutely changes the game. So, I think it's important, you know, for all of us, that we realize the game has changed. It is now a remote, pure, mobile, digital world. And we aren't going back. The world's not going back. The baby boomers can cling to yesteryear in their glory days and central headquarters, right? And hallway conversations. But it's Zoom, baby. It's video conferences. It's virtual reality. You want to hang out? Go to a virtual reality. Do some VR. Right? You want to do a happy hour? Get on Zoom. Crack open an old one. It is not going to go back to the way that it was. And to me... This reinfection only solidifies that point. Only solidifies it. So if things aren't going back to the way that they were, we could be in and out of lockdowns, who knows what unemployment is going to look like? I mean, I can tell you right now that most of these layoffs in the United States, they're going to be permanent layoffs. Because what's going to happen is these companies that are savvy, that are smart, that are like REI, that are forward thinking, they're going to be investing in technology. MHC, they gutted their IT department after COVID-19. I guarantee you REI is doubling down on IT. And why do I say that they're going to be permanent versus temporary layoffs? Because these companies that are savvy are going to be full bore automation. Full bore automation. What happens when you have full bore automation? Well, your white collar worker that thought it was just the blue collar workers that are being automated out through... Uh, machines, right, in warehouses and assembly lines and everything else, right? The reality is it's the white-collar worker that's going to be automated out. And when those jobs become permanent, 
you're going to have continued mass fiscal and monetary spending. Or you're going to have an uprising. Because Johnny, the accountant, that's tying out subledgers, right, to balance sheet accounts, that's something that a bot can do. Something that UiPath, you know, one of their robots can do. Blue Prism, they got a bot for that. Cost five grand. Little Johnny's out of a job. Baby Boomer Cheryl, she's out of a job. It's critical that we understand it is a new paradigm. There's been a paradigm shift. And these jobs aren't coming back. They're going straight to robots, straight to automation. So it's going to lead us to more fiscal, more, fiscal, more monetary stimulus. Um, it's inevitable. And that brings me to the last topic that I'm really fascinated in, which is Turkey. So Turkey, uh, miraculously and fortuitously, found a significant um, natural gas uh, reserve in the Black Sea. 320 billion cubic meters of natural gas in the Black Sea. Just so happens that they found this while their currency was being devalued significantly, while they were losing corporate investment, while their foreign uh, currency reserves were being depleted. Miraculously, they found this natural gas reserve that may or may not be able to be tapped into. They're not sure how much natural gas they're going to be able to pull out of this reserve. We have no idea. You know, and that's one of the interesting things that we live in, the world we live in right now with social media, with the internet, you know, so many different sources of information is what is the game that everyone's playing? What's the game Erdogan is playing? Is Erdogan worried about further devaluation of their currency? So they miraculously find this natural gas, 320 billion cubic meters of natural gas in the Black Sea. You know, was this... You know, how accurate is it? I mean, I'm sure they found something, but I think the timing of it is uh, pretty interesting, right? As they're losing and there's significant capital flight, they find this, right? And they're like, hey, we're going to be a net energy producer. Not importer. We're going to be a net energy producer. We're going to be that superpower, right? That Erdogan 
has been clamoring that Turkey is the next superpower. We don't even know if they can tap into this thing. It's going to take five, six years. Five to six years to find out if they can monetize this. Now, it's probably going to help Turkey negotiate some of their existing contracts with their energy suppliers, notably Russia. And it's probably going to attract some foreign investment. Turkey's still going to need dollars to build out the infrastructure. I just think it's fascinating. The Turkish lira is right on the edge of blowing out against the dollar. And they find this uh, they find this natural gas reserve. You know, I don't know, right? I'm just speculating, just pondering. What are the motivations? What are the incentives? Driving behavior, driving decision-making, driving the communication. And I think it's critical that whenever we get information... Regardless if it's a trusted source. Now, your level of uh, verification can fluctuate, right, based on the source and if you trust them and if they've provided, you know, value to you in the past. But I think it's critical to understand what are the motivations, what are the incentives for the individual that is sourcing the information. What are the incentives? What is the motivation for Erdogan and Turkey? Well, I can tell you that they want less capital flight out of Turkey. I can tell you that they're worried about the Turkish lira and devaluation. I can tell you that they don't want to increase interest rates. In response to the inflation that's being seen. And so it's just something that we'll continue to follow, continue to track, continue to pull the thread on. But it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Well... Really enjoyed the conversation today. Uh, Looking forward to tomorrow's show as always. Uh, Hope to get some feedback, some questions, some comments from you um, that I can address in a later show. 
Hope everybody's enjoying their wonderful Monday like I am. Like I said, it is a beautiful 92-degree day here in the Midwest. Sunny, not a cloud in the sky. Just some sweat dripping down my forehead. But I'll survive. I will survive this. Make no mistake. Second episode of the Joe Moran Show. And until tomorrow... Let's keep our ear to the grindstone.